We're starting a brand new series, and uh, um, I must say this was my toughest week of preparation because there's so much in the Beatitudes. We can go on forever. We can probably do a 10-week series or a 12-week series on the Beatitudes. That's how rich it is. But we only have four weeks for this series, so we compressed it. And I hope you are ready for a one-hour, 45-minute sermon because I have 63 slides to go through so that we can go through three Beatitudes. Right, so uh, that's great. Anyway, the, the definition of, of Beatitude, just let, let's just start there. The definition of Beatitudes is, is, comes from the Latin word uh, Beatitudo, and it just mean, means uh, blessedness, blessedness, blessedness. Here's the problem with the Beatitudes. Um, it's, it's sort of, we, we make it up as a list, and, and there's eight or nine, depending on uh, which scholars you read from, but that's not the biggest issue about how many there, there, there is. But it, we, we sort of make it a list on how do we receive blessings? How do we receive blessings? And, and that's not really why Jesus actually shared the Beatitudes he shared the Beatitudes as an introduction to probably his greatest sermon and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and if you go and read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you're going to have some moments in your life where you go, I know, it's not possible. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lists these, these things that, that we ought to do and how we should live, and, and what we, we should say and think. And, and sometimes we actually replace the Ten Commandment, Commandments with, with these lists, and then we go, we can't do it. We can't do it. Think about it. The Ten Commandments say, yeah, you shall not murder, right? Jesus comes and he says on, on the Sermon of the Mount, if you hate someone, it's the same as murdering someone. Uh, he, he says, if you just look at a woman in a lustful way, you are committing adultery. And suddenly it's, it's this list of things that, that we, we actually can't live up to. It's, it's almost impossible. And I think that's one of the main reasons why Jesus has listed the Beatitudes. It's, it's, it's actually for us a way to, to be transformed so that we can live the Christian life, so that we are enabled to do what is and what we ought to do as Jesus has, has preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the thing. What if, what if instead of viewing the Beatitudes at, as a list of to-do, we, we, we view it as, as, as one singular whole idea that points to the gospel. It's actually a roadmap that leads to Jesus Christ and to him who's our king and savior. And we need, we need to understand the Beatitudes. Now, I'm, I'm thankful that we are tag teaming on this sermon series because um, I'm, I'm not the proper theologian. So and not the teacher. So I, I guess for me, if, if you reckon I'm the preacher, Sandy's the theologian and the teacher, and Liam is just brilliant in all ways. 
So he gets the most of this sermon because it's so heavy loaded. And I just wanted to preach tonight and now I have to teach. But I'm going to preach at the end. Okay? The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. This is what... Um, What um, Virginia Stem had to say, she, she was an English professor who was teaching a, a, a class at Texas University 30 years ago, and she asked her students to, to, to read the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what these, I believe, probably non-Christians had to say about the Sermon on the Mount. I did not like the Sermon on the Mount. It made me feel like I had to be perfect. And no one is. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman like that is adultery. To be angry and insult someone is like murder. These are the most extreme, stupid, unhumane statements I've ever heard. These are the sayings of someone that doesn't understand the Christian faith and go, for the first time they've ever read the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what makes the Beatitudes so powerful. To be able to live out the Sermon on the Mount, we have to let the Beatitudes transform us from the inside out. That's what the Beatitudes ought to do for us as Christians. It needs to transform our lives. And once we understand these Beatitudes, these blessings, then we get to be transformed. And when we are transformed, we get to live out the Sermon on the Mount. We get to live that way and be able to, to, to do it that way. So to understand a couple of things, we need to know. We know, now know what beatitude means. It means blessedness, blessedness. Then we have to, 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 to just give some definition to a couple of other words. The word blessed used in, in the Beatitudes, because there's a couple, and, and, and before everyone, it's blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. That word blessed in there, just uh, for a moment to, to get some context, that's the Greek word makarios, makarios. And I think some of the, the translators struggled with this word because uh, in, in, in the world that we are living in, we, we tend to change that word to happiness or, or um, I am happy. That you, when, when we are blessed, we are not happy. When we are blessed, and, and I've preached on this a couple of weeks ago, we experience an internal joy that the world can't give us. It's a joy and a peace that overflows. It's not happiness. Happiness comes from the Latin word hap. It means your surroundings, what's happening uh, uh, around you. Uh, and in the world we, we live in, we, we tend to, to get happy about things. I mean, we're not too happy because it's a bit colder tonight, hey. But when the sun comes out tomorrow and it's maybe, oh, it's not tomorrow, end of the week it's going to warm up again, it, that, that makes us happy. Why? Because that is our surroundings. And some people can't get out of that circumstances they find themselves in and they never experience 
true joy because they base their happiness or, or, or their joy on the things around them. But the word blessed, makarios, means a, a joy that overflows and it comes from the inside. It's when God extends his benefits to us. So when we read this word blessed, it, it's when God extends his benefits towards us. Church, God is not concerned with your happiness tonight. He's more concerned about your holiness. And hence, he wants to transform us because he's concerned about your holiness. And when you are transformed from the inside out, when we fully understand the Beatitudes and being transformed, suddenly we can live a life that seems impossible to live. So I get to share about three Beatitudes, and, and I reckon that this is going to be three compressed sermons into one, because you can say so much about each one of these. And I want to read my three again. It's, it starts in verse 3 of Matthew 5. It says the following, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Just see something here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the condition. But there's always a reward or a promise on the other side of the condition. We have to see that. And when we start with these statements, and, and what is true about these statements is, one, these statements reveal where true happiness, if I can translate that, true joy can be found. These statements show the potential of what can be ours in our Christian walk. So let's start with blessed are the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3, the NIV, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. We have to understand that word poor first. That does not mean for us to, to get the kingdom of heaven, we have to be poor financially. That has nothing, that word poor has nothing to do with your financial status tonight. It does have nothing to do with your bank account. It's not an earthly economics that we, we talk about at, in, in this word poor in spirit. What it actually means is we have to become at a, come to a place where we are spiritually bankrupt, where we are poor in spirit, where we are spiritually bankrupt. The, the Greek word, and I wanted to say Sandy, but Liam preaching next week, he, he will, he'll pronounce the Greek words better because in the office he joked with me this week and he, and he goes, I know you're of Italian heritage. He, he went, but whenever you speak the Greek word, you speak it with the Italian accent. So I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, but the Greek word for poor is potokos. It means to be a beggar, a poor, one who crouches, who cower. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning being spiritually bankrupt. Here's my best definition that I came up this week for this verse to explain it to you. But throughout this message, what I want to do, and that's why I have so many slides, is I actually want the word to preach tonight and not me. I want to use so much scripture just to explain these simple verses to us so that when we walk out tonight, it was not Zalvin preaching, but it was the word of God. And I want to read, I'm probably going to use so much scripture tonight. So if you're taking notes, just take photos. It's going to be faster. Here's my definition of this verse. It's blessed is the person who realized that they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, one who realized their absolute need for God. Nothing to do with your financial statements, nothing to do but with your spiritual state. We, we have to be poor in spirit. We have to be poor in spirit. The New Living Translation says it as follows, Matthew 5, 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The good word translation says as following, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The NCV version says the following, those people who know they have great Spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. See, church, we will never depend on something we don't think we need. We will never depend on something we don't think we need. When you realize you need someone to do for you what you cannot do on your own, when we get to the place where you realize that you are spiritually bank, bankrupt, you are perfectly situated to grasp the kingdom of God. When you get to that place where, God, I have nothing. Spiritually, I'm poor and I need you. That's when you know you are spiritually poor. And that's where you can experience the blessedness of the Beatitudes, blessed, the makarios, the extended gifts of God in our lives, the extended blessings from heaven. And here's what God provides for us when we know we are spiritually poor. Is, see, without Jesus, if you, if, you'll never depend on something we don't think we need. If, if you don't think you, you need Jesus, right? Without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. Without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Jesus... I pay for my own sins. If you don't think you need him, that's where you are tonight. Is you're at a place where you're going to pay for your own sins. But if you know you are dependent on him, you're spiritually poor, then you know you're dependent on Jesus. 
You know this, because of Jesus, I have the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Without Jesus, I can only cope through my pain and personhood. Jeremiah says it in the following in 14. They say, they offer superficial treatment for my people's mortal wound. They give assurance of peace when there is no peace. Without Jesus, you're going to go through your pain. But because of Jesus, I have the power to be healed and transformed. 1 Peter 2.25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. When you don't know you need Jesus, you're going to go without him. You're going to try and be trying to find and create your own life. But because of Jesus, I have the ability to know who I am and what my life is. Is all about because scripture says in Jeremiah 29 11, and we all know this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But you need to realize you need someone to do that for you, and you cannot do it on your own. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's when you know there's nothing in here. I'm destitute. I need a savior. I need him. And that's what the Beatitudes does. It points us to Jesus. It points us to the direction that on our own we can't do our Christian walk. We need a savior and we need Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Here's my best translation of this verse that I can give you tonight. There is happiness even in difficult days because we will experience the provision, purpose, and presence of God. You can experience joy even in difficult days because we will experience the provision and purpose and presence of God. But this word mourn here, and when Jesus talks about blessed are the mourn, I think there's, there's, there's two mournings that happens here that we can, can point to. It, it's the obvious one of I have lost something or someone and therefore I am mourning. And when you are mourning, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Because the Greek word here is pentheor, pentheor to mourn, to lament, to properly grieve over death. Manifested grief so severe it takes possession of a person and cannot be hidden. But Jesus has 
I think another meaning towards this word here and, and, and his phrase, blessed are those who mourn. Because we, we, we have to take mourning into relation to the first Beatitudes, poor in spirit. See, when, when we realize we are poor in spirit as believers, when we realize that we need a savior, suddenly we start to mourn because we know that in our own life, in our own attempts, we are just sinful people. And we know what the Bible says about being sinful that leads, sin leads to death. And so we, we get to a place where we actually mourn our own death for being sinful. When Jesus says, blessed are the, those who mourn for, for they will be comforted. We have, we have to take this mourning into rela- rela- relation with the first beatitude, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sins because it has brought death over their lives. Their souls are death, dead. And, and I think that is one of the things that Jesus is, is trying to, to, to allude to here is, is hey, when, when you mourn over your own sin, that's when you experience the blessing. That's when you experience and, and will be comforted. But also we have this part of, of bad things happened, and then we mourn. And that can put us in a difficult situation, especially as believers, especially because we have questions like, why do bad things happen to good people or believers? Ever had that question coming up? Why are those people that so corrupt, so rich and blessed? But us as Christians struggle. Why, why is bad things happening to me? And, and then we, we go into a state of mourning and we think bad things shouldn't happen to good people. But that's not what the Bible says, church. The Bible, in fact, says in Hebrews 11.35, there were others who were tortured, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in Deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all uh, commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. And we might go, but that's not fair, Zalvin. Thank goodness God isn't fair, church. Because if he was fair, we would have paid for our own sin. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Meaning at a a place where we start to mourn over our own sins, where where we actually get to a place where, where whatever breaks God's heart start to break our hearts. Whenever we go and, and slide off, off our Christian walk, that, that that will put us in a state of mourning, going, that's not right, and that has broken God's heart. That's when we experience that blessedness, when we get to that state. We think pain always means something is wrong 
something is wrong with me. And that's simply not true. We think when we go into a state of mourning just in, in our natural walk, there's something wrong with us. And that is not true. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes we think we know best. But we have to get to a place of mourning where, where the, the things that we do and, and the things we ought not to do start breaking our hearts. It's not a bad place, church, to be in a state of mourning. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, The plans of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. Isaiah 57 verse 1 says, Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care of or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. We sometimes think we know best and we know what to do in our state of mourning. But we need to be at a place where, where things happen in our lives. It's nothing wrong with you. Sometimes it's just God protecting you from evil things. But when we get to that place of, of brokenness, mourning, that leads to meekness. That brings us to a place where we, we, we get to be comforted because that's the reward. But it also brings us to a place of meekness. I want to preach on that tonight, and I believe I have five minutes. Oh, never mind. They've given me some more time there. Left. See, when we understand that we have to be poor in spirit, it brings us to a place of mourning because suddenly our own heart breaks for, for our own lives that we know our sin brings upon us, and that is death. There's progression that happens. Jesus is, is teaching us the Beatitudes because he wants to teach us how, to, how Christians ought to live. He, he, his Beatitudes is the introduction to his Sermon on the Mount. And most of the times in a sermon, your introduction is the main point of the sermon. And that is the case with Jesus here. See, he's introducing us into these, these, these ways of living so that we can understand once we grasp this, that way of living and, and this beatitude is going to help us live the Christian life. But we have to be poor in spirit first. And once we are poor in spirit, that brings us to a place of brokenness, mourning. And see, see when you are at a place of brokenness, that is where you understand what it takes to be meek. And here's the problem with the word meek. 
we think it means weak. And that is not true. There is power in meekness, church. There is power in meekness. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Greek word for meek is the word praus. Praus. And biblical meekness is not weakness, but it rather refers to exercising God's strength under control. God's strength under control. It's guided strength. Interesting enough, Jesus refers to himself as meek, as being meek. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from uh, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, we deal with a kingdom paradox here. Jesus has, has, has this way of, of, of giving us these kingdom paradoxes. They that will be first uh, or last shall be first, right? He says it, he says it in Matthew 19, 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Last first. Is that even right English? Last. Imagine you, you, you ask a guy, how are you going? Last first. How are you today? Last first. Using the, the, this paradox, uh, that this kingdom paradox. Psalm 25 says, the humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Meek does not mean weak. Here's what the Bible, different translations try to teach us what meek means. Matthew 5, 5 in, in the Living Bible says, The meek and lowly are fortunate. The whole world wide, the whole wide world belongs to them. The message translation says it as following. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself uh, proud owners of everything that can't be bought. See, the world thinks, uh, and, and some of us think to be a Christian and be meek. It's like being like this feather, right? We, 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 we just don't want to offend. And sometimes we, we think to be meek is, is just to be like this feather. We, we, we don't want to speak hard and, and strong and, and we don't want to be direct as what the Bible says. And, and, and we try to, to actually walk around the truth and, and just we, we're just going to roll over. We're just going to be soft. As Christians, we're just going to be meek. Sometimes we, we think meek is, 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 is being like this feather. It's just, just, just soft and, and fluffy. And, and we're not going to stand for what the Word says. And, and we're just not going to offend anybody. That's not what 
meek means. On, on the other hand, some of us think uh, um, when, when we say as, as Christians, I'm a pen pusher, so I don't have a sledgehammer, but just believe this to be a sledgehammer, okay? Some of us then think, oh, we, 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 when we're Christians, we have to be so far right that we, that we bring out the hammer and go, whenever you come in here with your sins, we're going to knock you over. You're all going to go straight to hell and be strong. That's not meek either. It's, it's not just lying, falling over and, and, and being soft, or, but it's also not being so hard that we are not open to people when they come in. We, we just want to hit them with the hardest truth we can hit them. That, that's not what, what meek means, church. Meek is, is, is not a feather. James says it as following in James 1.21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the meekness, that the implanted word which is able to save your life. Meaning there's this power in meekness. It's not rolling over. But it's also not being a sledgehammer because Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, if you want to be, have the best description of, of meek, you have to go and study actually how, how Gre- the Greeks has broken in war horses. See, when they went in the hills to catch horses, wild, untamed horses, they've trained these horses. Some of them has been trained, and after their training, they've been disregarded as no good. Some of them has, making, has made the cut of, of, of actually being good enough just to, to be like packers, and, and you can pack stuff on them, and they will carry stuff for you. But those who have, be, have graduated to become a war horse has been broken in and they will move at the slightest command. See, a war horse has never lost its power. A war horse has never lost his, his, his zealous. A, a war horse has, has never ceased to be a passionate horse. But it's a horse that's been broken in and go, I'm going to move at the command of my master. I'm not going to live for self anymore, but I'm going to live for the master. If we as Christians want to be meek, if you want to be meek, is is I'm broken enough to know that I can't do it on my own, but I'll move at the voice of my master. I'm submitted to the power of God. I'm submitted to Him. I'm, I'm, I'm not a feather. I'm not just going to float. I'm actually going to stand on the Word of God. But I'm also not going to be a hammer sledging my way through. I'm going to be broken and not live for myself. I'm going to live for the one true King and I'm going to move at His Word. That's meekness. It's been broken in. It's been broken, but yet strong. It's like this horses. They're not wild or unruly, out of control or rebellious. But they respond to the slightest touch of the right hand, stops at the whispers 
of the master. Being meek. It's God, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm surrendered to you, but I'm going to act on your word. I'm going to be meek. Meek ain't weak. I'm not great at English, but that's my best English line this week. Meek ain't weak. Here's the question as we close. How do we live a meek life? Oh, we don't have keys. Sandy, you have to come and play and just make me sound a bit more holier. How do we live a meek life? If Jesus says to us, blessed are those who are meek, how do we do it? Is it even possible? It's one, we live with a repentant heart. If you want to be meek, live with a repentant heart. It's not living like a sledgehammer. It's not, I'm right and you're wrong and this is the way it's going to be. No, no, it's, it's actually going, I, I, I am, I am, no, no. You want to live meek? It's, it's living with a repent of heart. I, hey, I am wrong. God, I, I need you. It's putting down the sledgehammer and go, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Repent of heart. How how do we live as meek? With a repent of heart. But number two, with a receptive spirit. Scott, teach me. Guide me. It's like that war horse broken in. We move in the with the slightest whispers. I'm receptive to your word, Lord, to what you want to say. And number three, not just a receptive spirit, but a responsive life. Don't just hear and and be teachable. Go live it out. That calling, go live it out. But at, after every beatitude, after every, every blessed are the meek, there's a reward. See, when we, when we live this meek life, there's a reward for us. I actually believe there's three rewards when we are meek. One is you live with an uncommon security. With an uncommon security. Sometimes in our life, church, we try to control the outcome of things too much. We try to to control everything because we want to provide the security. But if we, we are meek, means we have handed it over. But the reward is a uncommon security. God, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know the one who holds the future. And that is enough for me. 
We live with an uncommon security too. You live with a higher perspective. Suddenly, those things that happen to us and in our lives and to our families that we don't always understand, we live with a higher perspective. We still know that God is in control. Doesn't make sense now, but one day it will. And three, you live with a supernatural power. Because see, once you live a meek life, it's, it's not our own strength with the sledgehammer. We're not, not as weak as the feather. Because weak ain't meek. Meek ain't weak. Got it wrong. But we, we know there's a supernatural power that's going to work once we've handed it over. Once we are broken enough. I want you to realize that the Beatitudes is not just a list. It's not just a list of things that you have to do this, this, this to get that. That's not what it is. But if we start to view it as, as a whole, points us to the life of Jesus, a map that points us to Jesus. We're going to get to a place where we experience these blessings. And in these three, there's that progression that took place. We realize we are poor in spirit. That we're spiritually bankrupt and we need someone because we can't do it on our own. Once we're there, that leads to mourning our own sin and brokenness, sin in our lives and our inability to do anything about it. And that leads us to a place where our heart breaks and it leads to action. Cannot be hidden. Finally, we are meek. Go, God, spiritually poor, I need you. My heart is broken for my dead life. I surrender it all to you. Once we get to that stage, that's where we experience meek. We go, broken, yet zealous for you. Broken, yet I will walk on your command. Broken, I'll listen to your whispers so that I can experience the supernatural life, the blessedness, the makarios, blessings in overflow, a joy and a peace, a shalom that cannot be explained and that the world cannot give us. We need Jesus, church. To live out our Christian life, we need him. We need the Beatitudes to, to help us be transformed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your teachings. And thank you for everyone here. That we can be at a place where we fully trust you. Where, you, where we trust you, Lord, in, in everything we do and, and, and live a fully surrendered life. Lord, we can't do it without you. 
We need you. But Lord, thank you also for the promises that when we surrender, we inherit the kingdom. Thank you for your promises, Lord, that you will comfort us. Thank you for your promises, Lord, that our reward is, is everything. Now I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they will experience that. That they'll hand over their lives to you. And just completely surrender into a life of meekness. Where we give over control to you. And as every eyes is closed and heads are bowed, if you're sitting here tonight and you know you need Jesus, you're in need of a Savior tonight, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to expose you. I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus Christ wants to transform your life. And he has a gift for you. That's the gift of salvation. But you have to accept it. And you have to hand it over. Go, Lord, I surrender to you. If you want to surrender your life tonight to Christ, every eyes is closed. I'm not going to expose you, I promise. I just want to pray for you. If that is you, will you raise your hand quickly? Just let it down. Thank you. You can let it down. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask the church to pray after me. And those who raised their hands as well, we're just going to support you and just cheer you on. I want you to pray after me and the rest of the church. Come on, let's support them and pray out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life so that I may live. I come tonight and I surrender it all to you. I declare you as my Lord and Savior, as my master, my owner. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And I accept the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.